Welcome to Geographical Thinking, the podcast where you get ideas, stories, and conversations all through the lens of geography. I'm your host, Guan Yu. GeoAI has been part of GIS since its early days, but it's really taking off in the digital era as well as we all witness the exploding volume of data and computational power. Today, our guest is Maya Kuhachik. She's a PhD candidate in geography at University of Calgary. She uses GeoAI to study drone images before and after disasters in order to quickly assess the damage done to communities at scale. Maya is a recipient of 2022 Esri Young Scholars Award. Welcome to Geographical Thinking, Maya. Well, thank you very much, Guan, for having me on, and I look forward to having a conversation. I read that you were drawn uh, to GIS when you first come across the topic in 2012. What drew you in? Yeah, thank you. Uh, so about 10 years ago, I was finishing up my undergraduate degree in Earth and Environmental Sciences in Chicago, which is where I grew up. And I was doing an undergraduate research thesis on developing a mapping protocol for tracking annual changes to geothermal features in Yellowstone National Park. And I had been in the park um, for a couple of summers, and I took these aerial photos of geothermal features and stitched them together to make a nice photo mosaic of each feature. And my undergraduate research advisor, Dr. Andrew Dumbard, uh, he suggested that I place these photo mosaics in a geospatial context. And to do that, he suggested I take a GIS course. And I had no idea what geospatial context meant. I had no idea what GIS was. And I'm so grateful to this day that he suggested I take GIS. Um, and in this course, I learned the fundamentals. I learned how to use ArcMap version 10 for the first time. And I was able to georeference my photo mosaics of geothermal features, place them in that geospatial context, along with other layers that would add more information, uh, including geology, hydrology, um, point locations of chemistry and biology samples that were taken of these features. And it really enriched the mapping uh, analysis. So that was the first time I used it and I stuck with it. And my first job out of my bachelor's program um, was at an environmental consulting firm. And I was one of the go-to people uh, for mapping and spatial analysis just based on my GIS skills. So right away, I saw the value in GIS in terms of enriching an analysis, uh, putting it in that geospatial context, but also employability, <laughs> lots of demand for those skills to create information products. Well, that's really great to know. It sounds like this geospatial context brings these pictures that you have into its geographic context so that you can integrate more data into it. And it's great to know that it make you more employable right out of the school. 
So after yeah. that, your journey continues, and then you you are diving into this imagery world, and you're using geo AI. Tell us a little bit about that. Where 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 does that project come from? Why are you interested in that? Yeah, I was uh, doing that environmental consulting job for about three years, and then I realized I really miss university. I really miss research, and I'm a highly curious person. I also love using GIS. And I was fortunate to be connected with my now supervisor, Dr. Chris Hugenholtz, who accepted me into my master's program. And that's where I really learned about drone-based remote sensing for the first time. He really taught me what I know, um, as well as how to take overlapping images with drones and create all these different data products with those images uh, including, you know, ortho mosaics and digital surface models and photorealistic 3D models, these information products that we can extract further information from. And in my master's program, I was also working with Dr. Jeff Hay, who taught me what I know about uh, image analysis, so geographic object-based image analysis, as well as uh, deep learning. and that transformed into the application of these tools uh, in a disaster management context, which is the focus of my PhD. Right. It sounds very interesting. And I do want to dive into the technology part a little bit later on. But first, let's talk about the topic of your research is for uh, disaster relief. Let's uh, let's hear, you know, without drone images and without that process of assessing the damages, what's the workflow look like? So after a major event, such as an earthquake or a storm occurs, uh, what's typically done is damage assessment professionals will walk on the ground from property to property and assess the damage uh, to each building. And as you can imagine, that's a time-consuming process, um, as well as hazardous if, say, people need to climb up onto rooftops that are damaged. And so remote sensing has been a major advantageous technology in terms of making these inspections more safe as well as um, more efficient. And how long has remote sensing been introduced into the field of post-disaster uh, assessment? I would say that remote sensing technology has been used for decades. When we think about using satellite imagery or images that are collected by helicopters or airplanes, um, those images have been looked at by disaster management professionals for decades. It's only uh, been in semi-recent history that we've started to really apply these more automated image classification techniques to speed up that image analysis process. At what magnitude will the works, uh, workflow that you're working on right now will increase the speed of post-disaster assessment? Well, I hope that it will um, increase the efficiency of those disaster management professionals by quite a bit. I was really um, I was really happy at the user conference this past summer 
to get a chance to meet some of those disaster management professionals. Um, I was presenting my project at the map gallery reception and several GIS professionals from the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers walked up to me and they told me that my project uh, contributes significantly to their workflow. Um, in recent years, they've been trying to develop similar technology and uh, they absolutely use aerial imagery to assess roof damage after storms in the U.S. And uh, the, the deep learning image analysis um, automation of that damage assessment uh, is something they're really interested in. So it's already being used, drone imageries and image analysis and data analysis afterwards. It's already being used in the industry, and you're looking at ways to make it more efficient and more accurate. Absolutely. They have a great interest in using high-resolution aerial imagery to expedite these ground-based damage assessments, and they have great interest in using these automated techniques. Um, and I think my role as an academic researcher is to assess the technology, uh, A, for its accuracy, and B, for any bottlenecks or challenges in the workflow. So um, that's really been the theme of my master's and my PhD programs, is to critically evaluate drones, uh, remote sensing, deep learning, all these geospatial technologies uh, for not only accuracy, but for their practicality in terms of application. What are some of the big barriers you see, if you can put it in layperson's language for our listeners here, uh, using these drone images and be able to synthesize them and draw conclusions? What kind of the big barriers that are preventing us of getting more efficient and accurate results? That's a great question. And I would say that it's important to tackle that from a variety of angles. So first of all, um, acquiring drone images after a major event occurs is, is difficult. You need to have those drones on hand. You need to have already trained people to use the drones to collect images, to process the images into the data products that you need. And then you need to have uh, in place these trained classification models that you can apply to the images to identify damage and related information that's useful um, in a relief context. So the, the entire workflow needs to be highly, uh, highly practiced, highly synchronized and efficient if you're going to help people because the overall goal is to help people in a disaster relief context. So the technology really needs to be um, well rehearsed and prepared ahead of time. And from a specifically deep learning AI uh, standpoint, I would say that, you know, one of the main challenges of, of deep learning is it can seem like a black box. It could seem really difficult and complex to understand. And um, I would say that it's important to read the literature that tries to explain uh, these deep learning uh, technologies and try to get more comfortable 
because uh, one of the major aspects of deep learning that really goes into how well your classification model will perform is setting the parameters of the model in a way that optimizes accuracy. So yeah, understanding the inner workings of that model and how to improve its accuracy is is crucial. And also from a, a time standpoint, creating the training data, those samples to train the model with, very time consuming. So these are some challenges that need to be addressed. I have two questions uh, regarding to what you just said. The first one you said is about understanding the context. So the deep learning, what I'm hearing is, is to teach the machine to learn how to detect the objects that it sees in the pictures. So give us an example of what, you know, why, why for us, you know, if we see a window, it's a window and what are the errors being introduced if we're not careful about our knowledge and ground truthing our knowledge in, in the context of GeoAI? That's a great question. Um, yes, as you mentioned, one of the most crucial parts of training a deep learning or machine learning model is to feed it or provide it with accurately labeled training data. So in my case, I am training a deep learning model by manually digitizing roof areas of roofs that are damaged um, after a hurricane. And I'm digitizing holes on roofs and I'm digitizing exposed roof decking. So those wood components that are exposed to the elements. And I need to be very careful to not mislabel my training data because that would confuse the model when it's trying to learn the patterns in how these objects appear. So it's very important to have carefully labeled data. And um, sometimes that requires expertise in that domain. The expertise in the domain of disaster relief of, you know, categorizing the damages correctly or the expertise in machine learning specifically. The accurate labeling of training data uh, is is so crucial. And I need to be confident that a specific object on a roof is exposed decking or it's a hole. Um, as you can imagine, uh, imagery of post-storm areas is very messy. There's debris everywhere. Uh, roofs are in shambles. So sometimes it's really hard to discern what I'm looking at. So I need to be really careful with the examples that I'm feeding the model. So when you're building these models, you're telling the machine again and again, what is what? And by covering a large area or large scenarios, the machine will be able to pick it up more accurately. And that's why you mentioned earlier that um, these pre-trained models takes a long time to be developed. Yes. And I just, uh, I want to emphasize something you mentioned. These deep learning models are data hungry. They work off of being provided many, many, like thousands and millions of examples of the object of interest. So they learn the appearance of these objects 
by repetition. So you're feeding so many samples through these models constantly, and they really work similar to our visual cortex, where we learn to recognize objects based on the objects that compose them. So when you and I are looking at a house, we know it's a house because we see a door, we see windows, we see a roof and a facade. So these um, highly intelligent deep learning, we call them convolutional neural networks. These convolutional neural networks are learning what features compose these objects of interest. It's really fascinating. And when the pre-trained models are somewhat ready to go and a disaster happened, unfortunately, are those pre-trained models ready to be deployed in the scenario or they need to be tuned in the scene of the natural disaster? That is a great point because when we think about an emergency scenario, we think about technology uh, being, you know, we need that technology to be able to uh, do the image classification right away. You know, performing fine tuning or uh, uh, training that model further with more samples can be a time consuming task. So what I'm really interested in is the, the accuracy of these pre-trained models on images they've never seen before. Because in an emergency context, we don't have time to further train them. And in my study, where I'm applying deep learning to detecting and delineating these pieces of roof damage, uh, I'm testing my trained model on images it's never seen before. And it's really important for, for studies to report accuracy of their pre-trained models on new unseen data. And this model, is it proprietary to you? Like, is it a model that different scholars or, you know, researchers around the world, they contribute to, or this is something that you developed and it will be fed uh, the data that you provide? That's a, that's a great point. Um, so in the field of, of deep learning, particularly in an image classification style deep learning, what is popular in the academic research community is for authors of studies to post their trained models and their training data on GitHub, the online repository. So these models then become shared with other people in the community and they can be improved upon. Um, in my specific case, I am developing this model from imagery you know, for the first time, I'm not building off of a previous roof damage model. However, when I'm performing deep learning in ArcGIS Pro, the models that you start with have already been trained on over a million images of everyday objects. So to begin with, they're really great at extracting uh, different features that compose a variety of objects. Uh, so they're really great generic feature extractors to begin with. And I also want to mention that once I have my trained model ready to go and I publish my study, I will be um, exporting my model to a shared file and posting it on GitHub so that other people can download it and improve upon it. 
Okay, so it's a really collaborative effort in the academic community in that you'll leverage someone else's work and your work will be made public so others that come behind can also leverage the work that you put in. Exactly. Um, I think that sharing the pre-trained models and sharing your training data is crucial for this research field to move forward. There are numerous uh, remote sensing image data sets uh, that are labeled, that are shared online, so that researchers can uh, constantly improve uh, deep learning model architectures and derive higher accuracies. And um, on a related note, I just want to mention that ESRI has over 40 pre-trained models on their website that users can download, import into ArcGIS Pro, and used to detect various uh, classes in their imagery. Yeah, so people don't have to start from ground zero. They have a um, half-baked, you know, if, if not more, model to start from. That's that's good to hear. What are your thoughts of like putting your research results and your findings into practice, you know, in promoting it to be used by different organizations and maybe governments? I am so driven by that. Uh, the, the transferring of academic research into the real world and actually expediting uh, the workflows of different organizations. I'm, I'm really passionate about that, particularly in a disaster management context, in a conservation uh, context, protecting Earth's resources and ecosystems. Um, I think that, you know, from a disaster management side of things, uh, going to the user conference and meeting those GIS professionals from the Army Corps of Engineers, uh, we are now in touch and I can actually share my work with them. And they're really interested in my results and uh they're actively working on this roof damage automation assessment automation. And, you know, that's really what drives me. I'm, I'm very much about applied research and I hope that I can continue my career trajectory in AI to make uh, the assessment of uh, remote sensing images more efficient. If there are listeners out there who want to get, in touch with you about this topic, what's the best way to reach you? Uh, great question. I am on Twitter and I am on LinkedIn. And I think if you Google my name, uh, there's not too many of me out there. And you'll be led to either a University of Calgary page or my LinkedIn. And I would say reach out to me via LinkedIn or email um, at my UCalgary email. And I'd be very happy to hear from anyone. Thank you very much, Maya, for coming on to Geographical Thinking and share with us your research. Well, thank you, Guan. Thank you to the listeners for tuning in. And I just want to mention today is my birthday and I've never been on a podcast before. So this is going to be a memorable birthday. Well, happy birthday to you. Thank you. Maya Kuhachik. A PhD candidate at the University of Calgary. She uses GeoAI and drone images to assist disaster management and damage assessment. 
You have been listening to Geographical Thinking. This podcast is brought to you by Esri Canada, a technology company that empowers people and organizations by the science of wear. Bye for now. <laughs>